the Mess It Up podcast, where we take your mess and turn it into a message. And now, here's Biker Chick and the Bowtie Guy. Hey, it's the Mess It Up podcast, and I am the Bowtie Guy. And I am the Biker Chick. And we are here to just try to make your life just a little bit more uh, entertaining, hopefully. And if you pick something up along the way, we're here to make messes into messages. That's what they say. That's exactly what they say. <laughs> and I love them for saying it. So um, our word of the week this week is lexicon. Any idea what a lexicon is? Nope. It's like a group of words, like language. It's it's the, the words that we use. And I love to have a word that means word for the word of the week. Word. Word. That was really good. <laughs> I like that one. Good job, Christina. Oh, shucks. Thanks. Yeah. So um, how has your week been? You were gone. You, you went to uh, a family gathering. Yeah. So about that, we'll move on. All right. Cool. Yeah. yeah. There's one more marriage in the world, though. Excellent. All right. Coolio. And uh, we are... Um, we're glad to have you back. Thanks. It's always rough when, uh, when, when family's out of town and driving and stuff like that. Was the coast beautiful? You were on the coast of California. Was it, was it weathery or was it beautiful? It was windy. Mm. So it was kind of a lot like being at home, just with beach and yeah. ocean. So sand was flying Ugh. versus, you know, bits of tumbleweed and yeah. bush. And yeah. We had um, uh, the occasion to go to Hawaii a couple times and we went to a, a luau. And I always tell people, if you go to Hawaii, make sure that you don't go to a luau. Because you go to the beach and there's sand blowing on cafeteria food. So you're eating really gritty food. Nice. A lot of people are just there to get drunk. So they're belligerent and there's some okay entertainment. I don't recommend. I know a lot of people love them. Not my thing. Not a fan, huh? No, not so much. Um, but we digress before we Always. Even progress. Uh, so um, I wanted to talk to you today about some stuff that came up in my CR group at the prison this last week. We're working on step five. And in case you're a new listener, uh, I am a, uh, a volunteer for Prison Fellowship and for Celebrate Recovery Inside, and Christine and I um, help on the leadership team at our local Celebrate Recovery 12-step group. So we're both in recovery uh, for different issues, but we both um, uh, try to live a, a, a lifestyle of recovery. Step 12 in it, right? Step 12 in it. Absolutely. Yep. Welcome to our step 12. <laughs> um, but step five says we admitted our, we admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Now I have a couple of different classes in the uh, prison that I do see our inside classes and we are all on different, uh, Lessons in the 25 lesson cycle of Celebrate Recovery, but we're all kind of in that step four, step five range. So we're looking at making inventories and we're looking at talking about them. And it's interesting to me that two of my three classes brought up the idea of in step five, they focused on the exact nature mm -hmm. of our wrongs, not just that we shared with God ourselves and someone else what we've done, right. but they dug into that exact nature, which I just, I found completely interesting because typically when we teach this, we just look at saying, all right, you're going to share it with God because you know, it's God knows and it helps to get it off and you share it with yourself because you got to be honest with yourself and then your sponsor because we're being held accountable. And, and a lot of people don't take it 
further into that word exact. Right. And uh, it was interesting to hear the guys talk about it because there is a wide range of uh, recovery knowledge with my students. Some of them have gone through NA or AA or both. Some of them are on their second or third time through a Celebrate Recovery cycle as well. So they've Mm -hmm. done it a lot. And other uh, guys in there are brand new and they're just in it to get the credit off of their sentence. They get you know time off of their sentence for attending self-help classes. So they're there for that. So we've got this spectrum. So when someone brought up the idea of exact nature, it really, I was curious to see what the guys were going to say about it. And like my students, I got a wide range of answers. Right. When you look at that exact nature, and I'm throwing this at you, you know, out of the blue, so I apologize a tiny bit, but that's what makes it interesting. What, how does that strike you, the exact nature? What, what, what do you take from that element of things? By the way, my dog is uh, attacking a toy right now and shaking it vigorously and catching it in the air. So if you hear something strange, that it's could the, be what it is. It's the pup. It's the pup. She's gypsy. having Everyone fun. Everyone say hi to Gypsy. Hi, Gypsy. She's looking now. She's a good puppy. Um, well, for me, I feel cautious when I hear you say the exact nature of our wrongs because I don't feel the details are necessary. Like, this is not what happened, you know, at this exact moment and then this moment and then this moment. She just hit me with uh-huh. a toy. Um, so it's, I feel hesitant, like, whoa, wait a minute. What? How nitty gritty are you expecting me to get with this? Because the fact that I'm sharing that this particular thing happened in my life, I'm not going to go back and relive the dirt and grime of it, but I'm still going to have to give you enough of the, the story to where you understand the complexity of it or, you know, exactly what happened, but not like too precise. Right. Right. And I, I would tend to agree with that. And, and none of my guys, this is why I love talking about things with different people. Cause none of my guys brought up that, you know, 8 AM and 14 seconds, you know, kind of right. thing. Uh, but the tendency where people, uh, often go when they're doing this is the downplay. That's mm-hmm. where I went. Let's paint with a really broad, broad brush yeah. so that it's just like, okay. And, uh, I made a mistake with, uh, a person. Right. And, um, a matter of fact, when we first met and you heard my testimony, that was one of the things that you asked me about was those lack of specifics and the broad generalities that I was using right. in talking about my uh, criminal activity. And it can be very easy to downplay or dismiss those things. Right. And so that was one of the aspects that people were getting into was like, you know, we need to make sure that we're owning up for the things that we actually did. Yes. That hundred uh, percent dial. And it was so interesting because one of the gentlemen who brought it up today, uh, my friend Joshua said before class, we were talking about something and he said, you know, I did this and it wasn't. of my reason to do this. It wasn't, you know, 40% or 20% or or 10%, but, but it was some of my intention was not good. I was doing the right thing and trying to look, you know, proper and be holy. But inside there was this little, there was a bit of a percentage 
that was doing it for the wrong, selfish, I want to dig a knife into this guy and make him feel uncomfortable reason. Right. And that's why I think he brought it up is that whole, we've got to look at the entire spectrum of what's going on. Right. And then the other perspective that I got, and I was trying to explain it to my, my class on Saturday, was the idea of my role in it. Because when we're doing our inventories, it, we go through the columns, and that very last one is where the magic happens for me. It's not mm-hmm. magic, but I say it because it's more fun. Right. It's where the God happens is my part when I take responsibility. And so the example that I gave the gentleman was... Um, in a former relationship that I had and I caught my partner with someone who wasn't me right. in a compromising position. So I was, I think justifiably and understandably upset and had resentment. So that incident and those people show up in my inventory and I looked at my part. Well, I had a part in that other guy winding up in my bed. Because I was ignoring my relationship. I was taking my relationship for granted. I wasn't, I had planted the seeds and I saw the the stems come up and I was like, cool, garden, I'll just walk away. Didn't come back and water, didn't come back and fertilize, didn't come back and weed it. I just let it go and assumed that it would always be there. And then it wasn't. But I had a part in that. And the thing that I look at with that exact nature of wrongs is making sure that I'm looking at what my part is. And it's not about assigning blame or guilt or fault. It's just about taking responsibility for what I've done in that situation. See, and as a survivor of abuse, I find freedom in that column. Because I have the ability to say, I have no guilt in this abusive situation. And so as you're talking, I can see most of what you're saying, but definitely want to touch on the other side of that to where the exact nature of my wrongs sometimes is that I had no responsibility in them and situations of abuse, you know, whatever type of abuse that is, you are not responsible for the abuse that you have suffered period. Right. Right. Yes. And what I find happens the most often in this as I, as I listen to people's inventories and as I look at my own, I had a tendency, not a hundred percent, but a tendency to Overclaim responsibility for things that were not my business to be responsible yes. for and completely underclaim the things that I needed to have my hand way up high on. Right. Because, and I think a lot of it was age-based. The older I got, the more I tended to shirk responsibility. Right. And the younger I was, the more I tended to blame myself for it. Um, And I don't know how much of that is a situation of how old I was when it happened or the time that it passed, you know, the interim between now and then that I just took it on. But yeah, that, that column is, and that's why I say, you know, that's where the God happens because it does, it releases people. I love having people read their inventory to me, not because I want to know their dirt, but because I want to see their shoulders get filled with helium. Because by the end of it, they're not slumped over and sad. So many of them are just like, oh my gosh, I I feel better because I can see I wasn't responsible for that. I had one guy who 
did some horrible things in his life and spent time behind bars because of those horrible things. Mm-hmm. And so he had a tendency of taking on all of the world's blame for everything. If you gave him the chance, he would probably take blame for both world wars and Korea and the American Civil War right. and all this stuff because he just wanted to soak in the blame to try to pay back. And when he could see that he was a victim as a child of his mother's abuse, he just he sat there in the restaurant with tears running down his face and no words. He was right. just like, I had no idea that I was a victim. And it's, it is, it's completely freeing to get to that point. And I love that freedom that we get by working our steps and by going through. And that's why to me, it's so important to dig into those difficult things because it's a lot easier to just gloss over it and just say, okay, yeah, this happened. And this person was a jerk to me, or this happened and I was a jerk and just go, but not to look at where can I be free from condemnation and where can I accept my part in this without playing the blame game? You know, I mean, I, I can fully accept responsibility for things without being condemned. Right. Because, you know, in Christ, there is no condemnation. So that doesn't mean that I can do things and not be wrong. It just means that Christ has provided my uh, grace for me, for my my mistakes, my sins, my errors, right. both in the past and the ones in the future. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, it is uh, time on the show for a little thing we like to call the song of the week. And this is a song that was given to me by uh, Joshua at the uh, institution. And he suggested this entire album to me. So I checked it out and I just really loved it. And I couldn't decide on a song. So it's almost like I spun the wheel Mm -hmm. and just picked like any song off of this. And so I'm not sure if you'll be familiar with this song or not, but we'll give it a listen and come back and talk about it. This is Street Called Mercy by Hillsong United. And we will be back on the other side of the break. I had not heard that song uh, until Josh suggested that I listen to this album because he wanted to do this song as a worship song with our Celebrate Recovery group on the inside there. 
And this whole album is from the album of Dirt and Grace. And Hillsong went to Israel and recorded the album just all over the place in Israel. And when you look on the album notes, it'll say like, you know, this song recorded adrift on the Sea of Galilee. So they That's just went so out on cool. a boat and just went. And, and this one here was um, on uh, at a, uh, a cross street. Let's see, it says is from Via Dolorosa and a dead end road by the old Dead Sea. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, this stuff is just so powerful. And and they have songs that you may have heard on the radio uh, that you hear in a different way. And they're just, um, I don't know, it just, it goes to a different place. But I love nice. the worshipfulness of this song. Like you were saying uh, when we were listening to it in the break, that um, it, I have... Uh, Say, say, because I'm going to say something different. But Are we recording? We are recording. You're insane. Yeah. You should let me know. Oh, I didn't tell you we were recording? No. We're back. All right. <laughs> so we are recording. Um, and the, the chorus in it where she just says over and over, she says, you are all I want. You are all I need. Every breath I take is a breath to say I'm yours now forever. I love the dedication and the um, uh, submission in that song. Just mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm yours. But the thing about being his is that means he gets to own me and he's going to take care of me. He's going to cherish me. It's not just I'm like submitting yourself like I'm a slave. He's just like, come here. Let me hug you. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. You were saying about worship. You already said it. No, I didn't. I didn't say <laughs> yeah, you did. I just said that it's worshipful. But you you already said. No, you already said what I said. No, it's a good song. It allows you to ruminate oh. on your love for the Lord. I love that you use our old words of the week, it's even like, though you don't want to, that they're in there. They are in there. We have, we have inculcated your mind with a lexicon of rumination. Somebody help him. <laughs> so, um, before we were, uh, the break, we were talking about this idea of, um, the, the completely exposing our, our faults. The exact nature of our wrongs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time remembering words like that. It's I'm so bad at it. Um, as, That's as weird. As often as I've been doing this kind of stuff, like today we were saying the serenity prayer, I can do it with a group. Right. If you ask me just to recite the serenity prayer, I have a hard time knowing how it starts. God. <laughs> Grant me the, the serenity. serenity. To accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom and to, the wisdom know, to the know the difference. The difference. Living one I, day at a time. I don't know if it's taking this line. Yeah. yeah. So I get all confused. That's on, where I've been I get doing confused. it for years and years and years and years and years. And still, I get lost. Yeah, I've been doing it almost seven years now. And I still don't have it memorized. 15, 16. Yeah. Yeah. 16, yeah. So, but anyhow, the exact nature of our wrongs. What about that exact nature of your wrongs and, and, and admitting the exact nature of your wrongs? stood out when you did it uh, for the first time or 
going in successive times that you've gone through a step study, has that changed looking at the exact nature? Do you have a different perspective on what that means or how it is revealed? Or do you have a different perception of how it feels? Talk to me about, about the exact nature when you went through it, especially the first time, I think it can be a very daunting task. Hmm. First time I went through my inventory, huh? Seems so long ago. Cause it was. Yeah. Um, a lifetime. Honestly. I think, I think the first time I went through my inventory was like the ice breaking. Um, because I just had to get comfortable with the whole process of the 12 steps. So I don't think it was my quote unquote best inventory uh-huh. because I still didn't understand the process of all of it. And was this an AA? No. Summer recovery? Yeah. Okay. I was in AA for a very short, short period of time. But you didn't do any, any step work? No. Okay. Because I was already in CR. Mm. And so I had done my steps through CR. And so, yeah, for me, it was just like I wasn't quite sure. I'd listened to the lessons I had, you know, but I'm a very hands-on, tangible person. I have to experience it. I have to feel it. I have to know it. Um, so the first time I went through, it was just kind of like vomit on the paper and let my sponsor sort me out. And she did. She did a great job of that. Um, because she was able to, as you were speaking about before the break, go, okay, I don't think you're responsible here. Why don't you look at it from this perspective? And then it was, hey, what about this? Can we talk about this a little bit more and dig into it and find out, okay, do I have more responsibility? Are there more people actually who should be on my inventory? Um, so she was a great guidance counselor. She really directed me very well. Would you say you had more learning or more healing in that first experience? Um, I would say there was both, but there wasn't quite the degree of transparency as I had in my second set of steps. Why did you do a second set? What, what compelled you to, to go again? God. Okay. He always makes me redo my steps when I think it's been long enough. Kind of like now. What was the gap? The time gap? Do you remember? I think it was about a year and a half. Okay. Before so, I did. did you do it in the same uh, group? Same uh-uh. setting? My first one I did um, at a, through a step study. Uh-huh. My second set of steps I actually did just with my sponsor. Okay. Same sponsor? Same sponsor. Okay. Yes. And so the first time she kind of came in halfway through. And then the second one, she was able to guide me through the entire set of steps. And so I think kind of getting the first one and getting like all the crap knocked off the shelf, right? you know, made me go, oh, look, there's still all this yuck and dust and stuff that I need to clean off. But I wasn't really prepared to dig deep into that because I was just so fresh in getting over some of my destructive behaviors. Uh-huh. And so... When I finally got into my second set of steps, I was able to go, to go, oh, okay, and be a little more clear on what I defined as my exact nature, you know, of my wrongs right. versus just taking the world onto me or not being, you know, because if I did, if I did a sex inventory, which is a big thing in AA or, a, um, yeah, more in AA as far as I know than CR per se, it'd be a long rap sheet. There'd be a lot of people because there's a lot of times that I used men for whatever I wanted. And so the first time I did it, I was like, 
whatever. I'm not listing all of those things out. And when I did my second set of steps, she made me slow down and realize the impact of the different names on my checklist Mm -hmm. and how that impacted versus me just glossing over it. So she made me dig deeper, but not into details per se. It wasn't like, hey, can you write out every single name? But it's like, hey, do you see the quantity of what has happened? Do you see the pattern, the repetition, the damage that you've done to not only yourself, but others through all of this? So they were very different experiences for me. And it's time to do it again. Yeah. For sure. What? when you when you said something that, that caught my ear there, you said that you used a lot of men to get whatever you wanted. And I thought mm-hmm. to myself, how often men use women mm-hmm. in that way? Were you using them? Were you giving them what they wanted so you could get what you want? Or were you using them just like in a sexual way? Or was it like, I will allow for this so I can, you know, whatever else. I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to put that all together. It was typically I would give them what they wanted to get what I wanted. Yeah. You know, I wanted... And, and it wasn't a conscious thing. It was just how I had learned to not appreciate my body. Yeah, that's how the game works. And that's, it, yeah. I listened to um, uh, a fella today talking about that idea that, you know, he was like number seven out of eight kids and his dad had uh, five different you know, mothers mm-hmm. going on and seven different wives and right. that it was just a conquest. And because he was younger, he heard his older brothers talking about that and they romanticize it. They glorified it. It's like, yeah, dad's the man. Right. Cause he can go out and, and get what he wants mm-hmm. and, and knock all these women down and way to go. And so they did that. Um, I read a book recently called the watchers and it, uh, is written by a guy named Michael Hastings and it's on generational curses. And he talks about that as well, that we see, we watch our elders and we learn this is the pattern. This is what I'm useful for. And so often for our young women, they are useful as an object of lust and aggression right? Uh, for young males or old males or, or mm-hmm. whatever. And that's just what they're seen as their use. And so because we teach our girls, this is what you're useful for. Then our girls think this is what I have to do. It's such a, a horrible self-eating cycle that um, can be broken, but we need to. Well, for me, my innocence was taken through the abuse. And so my body was no longer a cherished piece of who I am. It was just like. To you or to others? To me. Okay. So it was like, you know, it, it's just a, a tool at this point. You want sex. I want your money, you know, when you say that to you, your body, your, your innocence was, was taken that way and you were Mm -hmm. no longer, is that because of, you know, I mean, especially I, I, it's, it's a difficult conundrum to be in, but in, in the church world, we try to, you know, teach our kids to stay pure and and Mm -hmm. whatnot. And so we demonize sex acts so much so that they won't do it. And then if they do, or if it's done to them, the rest of the equation says when you just balance those sides of the equal mark, okay, I am not worth as much anymore because I've now participated in this ugly thing. Was it that that was put on you or was that internalized by yourself that, that you'd been 
treated unfairly and so you weren't worth anything because you had received abuse well when somebody abuses you I think instantly they take away the value because they show you that um, that it's just not worth in anything anymore you know if somebody can come in and rape you multiple times then you know, that's not something that you look at as a beautiful thing, right? regardless of what you're taught, which I wasn't really taught anything. I was 10. The second time I was abused the first time, you know, I didn't even talk about for the longest time because it just didn't seem that big in comparison to what had happened the second time. And so, but I, I don't even, I, I don't think I ever looked to sex as a beautiful thing. Or something to bring people close or bring intimacy. I still struggle with that. I still struggle with, you know, hey, let's look beautifully into each other's eyes and make this romantic moment. That's just not something that computes in my brain. I was never taught that sex was bad. I was never taught anything, really, by my parents that I I can look back on. It's just having somebody force themselves on you and take that from you, you know, it, it just automatically becomes an act of, um, powerlessness. Right. Because from the other perspective, and again, for new listeners, you get in both perspectives here because Christina was a victim and and I was the aggressor, not to Christina, but in my past. And it is, it's a, it's a power thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that. Right. But it, it was, it was, a, I will, I want, I will, I can. Right. And so then it just, it's, it's, there's nothing sweet mm-hmm. or good no. about it. It's just a, a, just a lustful power grab. Right. Kind of thing. It's a fight in a different way. Right. And my abuser was an older cousin of mine who spread the abuse over several years. And then even after the sexual abuse stopped, he was still in my life because he was part of my family. And so it was then a a secret that nobody else knew about, but he actually had a sick love for me. He even, you know, before I came out and told people about it, his password on his computer was my name. Mm. I asked him, you know, how do I get into your, he's like, oh, it's your name. I'm like, Christina is your password. And he's like, yeah. And so there was this sick obsession. I was going to say, obsession was the word that came to my mind, not love or infatuation. Well, his sick sense of whatever that is. And so it was kind of a, a thing that just followed me for so many years because just the way that he would look at me, the way that he would talk around me, the way that it was just like, there was this weird whacked out connection there that I couldn't get rid of. And it wasn't a positive thing. It was a horrible right. thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's so not I, something like, Oh, Hey, I just fell. My arm is broken. Please help me. And everyone comes and helps you. Right. No. And then when I did speak out about my abuse, everybody was like, your arm's not oh, broken. well it should have just, you know, Maybe one time is all that happened. It yeah. wasn't really that bad. Well, you were young or you know, are you, you sure you remember this? it correctly? Or, you know, and I can speak out of at different times of where the abuse happened and what was said and how it went about. 
But nobody wants to hear that because that would mean that somebody they love is capable of doing something not so nice to somebody else that they love. Right. And so it's easier for them, I think, to minimize their watch. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In their house. Yeah. Well, they were in the next room sort of deal. And so, yeah, they would have to take some accountability there or which I don't think they do. I mean, I don't look back at it that way and blame anybody but him. He was the one, you know, I don't expect people to protect me from something they don't know about. Right. Um, but that diminished my value greatly because it's just for five, six years, I continue to be, you know, subject to the abuse that, that he put me through. And then I just, I had no value at that point. So sex was just something that, you know, you gave up. It was just part of the game. And then, um, so instead of being the victim, I took the power and I turned it around and I was going to be in control of what I did with my body. And I was going to take whatever from you I could because of that. Yeah. And so I became, I've got, uh, uh, I can't remember the name, a painted dart frog, a something dart frog on my arm. And it's one of the most deadly creatures in the world because of the poison off of its back. But it's also one of the most beautiful creatures out there. It's highly decorated with its colors and stuff like that. And so that became my emblem Hmm. is I was beautiful, but I was deadly. Right. Get too close. You're the one that's going to end up um, hurt out of this. Right. Because I had such, I had such pain in me. I had such shame, such... And I'm guessing that that uh, acting out that anger on those people did not diminish the pain. No, no. It actually compounded it over years and years. And that was one thing I didn't realize until I went through my second inventory and we were doing the, the sex inventory and talking about all of the people that I had been with, you know, whether it was fully intimacy or not, you know, there was just a lot of different things that happened and realizing just how much I compounded my hurt piled on top of my hurt on top of my hurt, the more I devalued myself. Yeah. And I was told one time that I needed to repent for my actions after the abuse. So I needed to repent based on the fact that I had hurt these people too. And I got into this big, lengthy religious discussion with somebody about, I'm not going to be an abuse victim that turns around and says, I'm sorry that this is what happened because I didn't know what it was, what I was doing. When I became accountable for my actions, I can say, yes, at this point in time, I realized my hurt that I caused. So just to be clear, you're talking about like to those men that you then, well, that and, um, you're not talking about going and apologizing to your abuser. Victim, your no, abuser. no, he's, okay. he's okay. dead by the way. Um, <laughs> we never, I never got to talk to him. I forgave him a long time ago, but, um, but there, there was no, to the listeners. Yeah. You're not yeah. saying no, but it was my actions. Like abuse does something to you. It wounds you to the level of your soul. It impacts your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your spirit. It impacts so much of who you are that, um, depending on, I think my opinion, depending on how it's dealt with, 
and what you get out of it depends on how you take that. Like I never got anyone taking responsibility for what they did. I never got, and I'm sorry, I never got any of that. And so for me, that just festered and blistered and got worse because there was no closure to it until Christ. And then with Christ, there's closure for all things because he redeems that. Um, But there was a lot of actions that I did, a lot of things that became of that because of the abuse that I suffered. And, um, you know, there's just certain things that I... I take responsibility for, like, I'm sorry if I hurt people along the way, but I'm not going to sit back and say, okay, well, I repent for this bad judgment call because I was a 15 year old girl Mm -hmm. who had been abused. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to sit there and go, well, I repent for my reaction to the situation because it was a reaction out of abuse. It wasn't a reaction out of normal thought. And when we're wounded, our body does things and depending on the wound and how you treat it, the, the wound can fester yes. and get worse. Absolutely. Uh, the wound can heal and leave a scar mm-hmm. or the wound can heal and actually leave that place stronger than it was before the wound. Mm-hmm. But it all depends on the action that's taken. If right. you break an arm, that where the arm fuses back together again. That bone is typically stronger Mm -hmm. at that break point than it was before. But I have marks all over my body from scars that are left behind from where I was cut. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, that's how our lives are as well. These wounds that we receive leave scars and infected places and strong places. Mm -hmm. And these scars that I inflict are going to leave, or these, these wounds that I inflict are going to leave a scar or, uh, an infection or a strong place. And, um, it's through Christ that we get strength for these wounds. Right. Um, but they are overcomable. They are healable. Um, but it's not easy and it's not, I mean, there's a lot of rehab that has to take place. And uh, we were not prepared. This is not a direction we thought we were going to be going with this podcast today. So I didn't prepare a, a list of resources or anything. But Christina, resources that you would suggest or, or actions if there are people out here who are currently in the midst of what you were in the midst of, currently in the midst of being abused by someone or in an abusive relationship or have had it in their past, what would you, how can they find help? I mean, obviously the first one is you have to say something. People aren't going to come and volunteer help for that in most cases without saying it. Well, first of all, know that you are worthy. Absolutely. You know, um, you are worthy of a healthy life. You are worthy of not being abused by anybody else in this world. You have value. You are important, period. Nothing more. value beyond just that thing. And, um... You know, find somebody safe to say something to or to talk to. Um, I know that there's women's centers out there. We have one in our community. Um, There's counselors out there that specialize in abuse situations. I became a Christian, and that's when my whole life changed. I found a counselor who was 
uh, biblically based, um, use the Holy Spirit, use God. That was how I went through it. Um, Celebrate Recovery has been a big resource for me. I went through a group called Mending the Soul that really helped my healing. It's specifically for survivors of abuse. Um, but I think just, just knowing that you don't have to suffer, you don't have to continue in the cycle of abuse, no matter what it is or who it comes from, that nobody else is more valuable than you. We are all individually valuable in our own rights. And so find somebody safe to talk to and safe doesn't always mean Mr. Police officer or Mr. Doctor or Mr. Anything like find somebody who has been through something similar, reach out, um, to women's centers and places like that, that are specifically designed to help you move forward and conquer. Right. And the, the, the other perspective on it that I see that I didn't hear you say, but I'm guessing a lot of people go through this is a guilt because so many times this happens with a family member or a friend of the family. So it's mm-hmm. most frequently not a stranger that right. does the abuse. And so there's a guilt in, well, I don't want to get this person in trouble. And as oh, a person yeah. who has been in trouble, they need to be in trouble. They need to, it, it will not stop on its own. Right. And when, when my stepdaughter reported me, it meant that I was no longer uh, able to be a teacher and, you know, I had to go to jail. And a lot of things happened to me and my life now is so much better than it would have been if I had not been found out because I had to pay those prices, those natural consequences for what it was because that person that's abusing you, their job, their career, their whatever is not as important as your health, your sanity, and and you. I think one of the biggest things though is, is fear because there is... A mentality that victims are liars. And anybody, most people aren't going to be like, oh yeah, I abused that person. You're right. Lock me up. Do this. Most of them are going to fight it mm-hmm. and say, no, you're a liar. And so being able to have the courage to stand up and say, no, I'm not lying and, and be there and tell the truth. You know, it, it's such a battle for the truth to come out that I think that scares a lot of people too. Yes. And hurting, not necessarily their abuser, everybody else in the family. Right. You know, I'm not going to tell because I don't want my dad to hurt or I don't want my aunt to hurt or I don't want my brother to think this of me. You know, there was a lot of things that I thought and being so young, I was 10 when he started to abuse me and I was in a very vulnerable situation. It was... Will anybody believe me? Yeah. And and then did I bring how do you how do you go to the next family barbecue or Christmas and is like, okay, well, you know, that guy's not here, but you are and everyone's looking at you either with pity or with anger or with whatever or with nothing but you're in or or, that on or no, that person is there. And you're just expected to face it. Yeah. Is what I've that's been even through. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. But well, I, I hopefully, was, I was in the Hopefully room. if you go to someone and, and if it's happening in your family and you go to a family member, 
your chances of getting it to stop are way less. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to have an intervention and sit down and get them to stop. It's just not going to happen. They need to pay for it with some time. They need to get some help. And telling a mandated reporter will make it happen. That's the only thing that made it happen for my daughter was a mandated reporter finally made the report. And um, I can say now I am in the minority I have a great relationship with my daughter. Right. I'm going, as soon as we're done with this, going to piano recital for her boys, my grandsons. Right. Um, and that is a relationship that's been healed because she had the strength to tell. Yes. And yes. Um, I was blessed by God to be able to look at myself, to accept the full extent of my wrongs and look right. at everything I had done. And my, you know, it has nothing to do with, well, she was dressing provocatively or she did this or whatever. No, it's just abuse is abuse. No means no. Right. They sound cliche, but they're true. Absolutely. So if you, if you're in that situation, find help, yes. you can get help. Um, and we'll put some, uh, links on the, uh, uh, website, uh, for you to go for some help for this. Um, so if you look at mess it up podcast.com, I'll uh, get some links on there this week. So that you'll be able to find those resources. You can always email uh, Christina at bikerchick at messituppodcast.com. Um, and she has an experience that I don't have. Um, if you just want to share your story about whatever, uh, you can email intern Dave at info at messituppodcast.com. If you want to get a hold of me, I am bowtie guy at messituppodcast.com. If you want to help us pay the bills, keep the show on the air, and get things uh, taken care of from a financial sense, we appreciate our patrons who have subscribed to us on Patreon. It is uh, anywhere from uh, as low as a dollar a month. You can subscribe to, or not subscribe, but be a patron of the show. There's a Patreon button that says, I want to be a patron uh, on the Mess It Up podcast website as well. And you can click there. We sent out our first um, window stickers and uh, some people got some shop towels and t-shirts. Nice. Uh, so look for those around your uh, town. If you don't see them around your town and you want to be the first one, click on Patreon and you can find out how to get your own Mess It Up swag as well. Uh, this has been a really good show. I didn't know we were going to go here, but I'm really glad we did. Right. Never As know. always. Never uh, know. Thanks for listening, listeners, and we will see you next time we mess it up. Take care. Thanks for checking out the Mess It Up podcast. If you've got any questions or feedback, please email info at messituppodcast.com. Don't forget to share with your friends, and we'll see you next time we mess it up.